Good morning, LifePoint. It is a joy to be with you this morning. If you don't know me, I'm Jonathan Holmes, and I'm the pastor of community here. It's a privilege to continue in our study on the Messiah has come, the Christ of God, where we're looking at the first four chapters of Matthew's gospel. Now, this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse one. So go ahead and turn there, and I'll begin reading. Verse one says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We believe it is true and whatever asks of us, we will do. I pray our eyes would turn to Jesus as we hear from your word. May your Holy Spirit convict us of sin in our lives so we might be renewed by your grace and mercy to us through the repentance of our sins. Amen. This morning, we're gonna look at how a few people responded to this news, the arrival of the Messiah, King Jesus, and how their response can actually challenge us to respond in faith this morning. The hope, the prayer this morning is to respond by faith and worship the Messiah. In this chapter of Matthew's gospel, he introduces a central theme for the entire gospel. See, the Jews have rejected by passivity the offer of salvation, but the Gentiles will receive it by seeking. One commentator said this, in this narrative, the Jews and their king are ranged against the infant Jesus, but Gentiles do him homage. So essentially, the Jews are against Jesus, and then yet the Gentiles are worshiping him. Let's go back to the beginning of our passage in verses one and two, and let's read this. The wise men visit King Herod. This is when the news is brought. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse two says, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
I remember uh, seeing these nativity sets at my parents' house, at my grandparents' house, even at my church. And as I would walk by, of course, as a little kid, you had to play with them. And so you'd play with Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus, all the animals. But then there's these three characters, the wise men. And I, I had to know more about them because these guys were always riding camels and they were dressed to the nines. I mean, they were dressed as royalty. And so I was always fascinated by their story. And see, the detail that we have in the text is about this big. We don't know much about these guys, but our tradition of who the wise men are is huge, right? We've created stories about them, what the gifts mean, who they are, and where exactly they're coming from. Now, we don't know much about them, but let's jump into that a little bit. See, the Greek word here that's translated wise men is magos. And magos is better translated as magi, but that word we don't really use, and it's where we get our word magician from. Now, this is, uh, this is what's translated in the book of Acts, where uh, the disciples, the apostles, are um, met by some charlatans that are called magicians, and they encounter them in different ways. It's also seen in the Old Testament as well, but it's not easy to identify who these men were precisely. They were likely Persians who were experts in the study of stars. And centuries before Jesus, we even see in the book of Daniel that there were magi among the Chaldeans. They were able to interpret dreams. See, there's simply a lot we don't know about the wise men, except that they came from the east. Matthew uses the word behold, and this is his a, a focal point where this is where he wants to direct his focus on in this passage. He's saying, look at the wise men, pay attention to these guys. Our goal this morning is not to aimlessly speculate at where they came from, how they got there, but to learn from why they came, why the wise men came. So the study of the stars had led them to believe that a great leader the king of the Jews had been born in the area. That being so, they directed their steps right up to Jerusalem, the capital city, because surely if a king is born, he's going to be born in the palace. Then we read the only words from the wise men that are recorded. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For, he saw, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the wise men opened the dialogue with King Herod and Israel with some big news. They had come from all far west, far east because they saw his star. They saw his star. Maybe they were familiar with the prophecy in Numbers 24, 17. A star will come out of Jacob. But either way, they saw a star and in their study of that star, they recognized that this star was the king of the Jews, was for the king of the Jews. Now, the second re reason they are there in Jerusalem is because they want to worship him. So why did they come? Well, they want to worship the king of the Jews. They've come to greet him. These wise men have brought the news of the arrival of the Messiah from the far east to Jerusalem. Isn't that ironic? You think that's kind of backwards. Wouldn't you expect that the king of the Jews is announced by the Jews. Not only is the origin of the news surprising, but much can be learned from how everyone responded to this news. But before we talk about these three responses we see in the text, I have to ask this question. Have you ever responded in the wrong way to something? We all have, right? That's, that's, that's a, 
it's assumed that we all at a time have responded in the wrong way. Maybe a friend is telling you a story and halfway through the story, you don't even realize it, but you zone out. And at the conclusion, you say, huh, that's funny. It wasn't funny, right? That's the wrong response. Or maybe when your mom tells you, hey, go do the dishes, take out the trash or something of that sort, you say, yeah, yeah, I will in a minute. You're gonna quickly realize that was not the right response. Now, husbands, we are experts in this area. We, we, we are familiar with this question. Your wife comes to you and asks, how does this look? The stakes are high. Your response, you analyze it. How are you gonna say it? What intonations are you gonna put? Everything's gonna be analyzed. This is an important response. And we learned that from maybe the wrong response. And so as we think of this big news coming, the king of the Jews has arrived. It's important for us not just to look at how these people responded to this news, but how are you responding to the news that the Messiah has come and he has changed everything. The Messiah has come. How is your heart responding to this news? So we're gonna look at the three responses to the arrival of the Messiah. The first response is that King Herod plotted against King Jesus. King Herod plotted against King Jesus. In verse three, we read, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So unlike the wise men, we know much of King Herod. And so one commentator gave a great short synopsis of his life. Herod the Great, as he is now called, was born in 73 BC and was named King of Judea by the Roman Senate in 40 BC. He loved power as he inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people and resented the fact that many Jews considered him a usurper. Now that that last fact there, that's really important that he was considered a usurper. Why did many Jews consider him a usurper? Herod was not a rightful king from the line of David. He was a descendant from Esau. And this fact alone caused many Jews to reject his kingship. Herod was appointed by Rome to be king of the Jews, but he just now received some troubling news. A baby had been born from the rightful heir, the line of David, to be king of the Jews. When King Herod was asked where this real king was, he recognized that his job was at risk. This troubled him deeply. And just like the old adage says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Just as the king is not happy, then all of Israel felt his already gruesome grip tighten and they were troubled too. So how does Herod respond to this troubling news? He gathers all the chief priests and scribes to ask about where the Christ was to be born. Now he's being thorough here. Herod is getting as much information as he can. So in verses four through six, we see that he gathers the religious leaders to gain information from them. And then in seven and eight, he's going to gather the wise men and he's gonna get as much information as he can. He wants to know where and when this so-called king of the Jews has been born. The wise men's investigation of the star was motivated by a desire to worship the king. But Herod's investigation was motivated by a self protection, self-preservation. He was fearful for the so-called king of the Jews. Herod was more worried about saving his throne than he was about saving his soul. 
Herod's response to Jesus reveals what is true in some of our hearts this morning. This is important. We see Jesus not as Messiah, but as a threat. The arrival of the Messiah is not good news to us. It's a threat to our own control, to our own passions, our own desires, our own plans. The things that we dream of, we see him and we see hear of his kingdom and we say, that's not according to my plan or my will or my way. We see him as a threat. We think as long as I can sit on the throne of my life and guide my ship, it will be okay. But friends, just as Job confessed, to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We must recognize that God's plans and his purposes will not change. They will not be thwarted. Herod continues his plotting in verses seven and eight and believes that his plan is moving forward. He, he's going to the wise men and he's telling them that he would like to worship just as they are. And really, at this point, we have no reason to believe that the wise men won't go find King Jesus, worship him, and then return and report to King Herod until we see the providential hand of God again change the plans of men. The same hand that set the star in the sky to guide the wise men to the rightful king sets a dream in the minds of men to tell them not to return to King Herod in verse 12. See, the providential hand of God will not be moved except according to his great purposes. You gotta ask yourself, how much of your life is plotting against the plans of God? What areas of your life have you said that, God, I trust you, but I'm really good at this. I think I have a good plan, a, a better plan. Where are you in your life not trusting or not allowing Christ to sit on the throne? have full control. The second response we see is the religious leaders reject King Jesus. Reject King Jesus. So the arrival of the Messiah is brought and the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes of the people hear of this. And at the Herod's call, they go to him. And he, in verse four, we read, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so is written by the prophet. And so this comes from Micah 5, 2, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler. And then 2 Samuel 5, 2 is quoted there, who will shepherd my people, Israel? The religious leaders quickly respond to King Herod. The request is heard and they give the exact location of where the Messiah should arrive. And Matthew helps the reader see where the citation come from, comes from by quoting two old, uh, the Micah 5.2 passage in 2 Samuel 5.2. J.C. Ryle commented on this section and he says, these verses teach us that there may be knowledge of scripture in the head while there's no grace in the heart. May this not be true of me and of you, Christian. Take notice of how quickly they respond to the question of where Christ would be born. Take notice of how familiar they are with the word of God, but with their minds they know their answers, but their hearts are far from grace. 
Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will confront these religious leaders saying, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. How can our Bibles be so highlighted? How can our homes be so filled with quotation of scripture, but yet our hearts are so far from God? May the words of King Jesus awaken us this morning. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The religious leaders knew so much, but look at what little use they made of it. The apathy, the passivity of the religious leaders contrasts with the wise men's inquiry. Oh, how far the wise men have traveled from the east, earnestly seeking the king who's worthy of their worship and treasure. And how few steps the obedience of the religious leaders would have been. But they were apathetic. They were passive. Their lack of obedience was not due to ignorance, for they knew exactly where the Christ would be born. They just didn't care. When the things of Christ become familiar and ordinary to us, we must recognize that apathy can root in our hearts. We can become passive in our worship of the one who's worthy. Head knowledge is a needed and beautiful thing for the Christian unless our heads be filled and our hearts unchanged. True theology always leads to doxology. That means praise and worship of God. As we know about God, our worship of him increases. Right? Belief always leads to right action. Reject passivity. Reject apathy. And embrace faithful obedience to King Jesus. No matter how far away you are or how near you are to the Messiah, this morning, reject the passivity and apathy that's set in your heart or in your mind and submit your life to Christ. And so our final response, we see first King Herod, he plots against the plans of God. And then we see the wise men and they are passive to the things of God. And then we see the, or the, the, the religious leaders are passive to the things of God. Then we see the wise men worship the Messiah. We see this response in verses 10 through 12. And these pagan seekers are marked by greater faith than anywhere else we see in scripture. John 1.11 says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. This showing of faith is something we might accept or expect from someone who is filled with the knowledge of God. But it's something we see in the Gentile, the pagan seeker, the one who's far from God, who falls down and worships the king. Starting in verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, there's Matthew's attention grabbing word. Like, look at this. It's back. The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with, joy, with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The providential hand of God that is protecting and guiding in this very moment. 
brings the wise men to the doorstep of King Jesus, the King of the Jews, the one they've been seeking, the Messiah. See, the wise men had gone to the palace, the doorstep of the palace, expecting to kneel on the marble floors, but they are led to the dirt floors before the infant Jesus to worship the King of Kings. One commentator speaks beautifully of this moment of worship. They believed in Christ, speaking of the wise men, when they have never seen him. That was not all. They believed in him when the scribes and Pharisees were unbelieving. But that again was not all. They believed in him when they saw him a little infant on Mary's knee and worshipped him as the rightful king. They saw no miracles to convince them. They, had, they heard no teaching to persuade them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak, and needing a mother's care just like one of us. And yet, when they saw that infant, they believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world. And what does the text say? What was their response? They fell down and they worshiped him. And then they opened up their treasures and they offered him, offered them to him. Their worship is heightened by the sacrificial giving of the gifts. And look at God's providential hand. This would more than likely be the provision that Mary and Joseph needed to flee to Egypt, to get away from the evil, sinful plots of King Herod again. And our duty is, in worship is to do likewise, to first trust in Christ by placing our faith in Jesus and then consecrating all that we have, everything in our lives, everything we are and everything that we have to his worship and to his service. So let's just let the sermon stop here. Just as the star paused over King Jesus, let's look to him. Let's turn our attention, our affection to the one who has arrived and who's worthy of our worship. Forget me, forget your surroundings. If you have to, close your eyes. Put your attention and your affection. Behold King Jesus, the one who's worthy. We have the teachings of Jesus to persuade us. We have the account of scripture to reveal him to us. And we have the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to convince us. The wise men believed in him, and so should we. We not be ashamed to lay our treasures at the feet of Jesus, but let us respond by faith today and worship the Messiah. Let us not respond as King Herod did to Jesus and see him as a threat, fear that our plans will be usurped. Friends, God's plan will be done. Reject the sinful plotting of Herod. Let us not respond to Jesus in an apathetic, passive ignoring of Jesus. Reject the passivity of the, of the religious leaders. Let us respond to Jesus by faith that he is the Messiah who is worthy of our worship. There is no greater thing than this morning to consider how you are responding in your heart and in your life to King Jesus. He is worthy of everything that you have and everything that you are. Let's go before him now in prayer. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge how unworthy we are to even be in your presence. And from your word, we heard of the arrival of King Jesus 
and his arrival beckons a response. And some of us might feel fear. What will this cost me? What must I sacrifice? What must I lose? But may we be reminded of what you have given us, your very son, the gift of salvation. May we search our hearts and our minds, uproot passivity that, where we've just grown apathetic to the things of God. Encourage our hearts and our minds to thirst for salvation, to thirst for righteousness. And Father, may we fall before you for you are worthy of our worship. May we kneel down, humble ourselves before you and seek your will and your way. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.